And you create all these different parts that manage and encourage the development of yourself because communication and sales ideally is about not just making money, but personal development and expression. I see it as an art form. Welcome to the My Future Business Show, where we get you in front of your best audience and keep you there. Not only are we interviewing the biggest names in business to help you become even more successful, we're inviting you to book your spot on the show to help you grow your business. So at the end of the call, make sure you fill in the interview application form at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. Hi, and welcome back to the My Future Business Show. My name is Rick Nusky. It's wonderful to have you here. If this is your first time, welcome. And if you have been here before and you're supporting the show, thank you very much for for that support. It's making all of the difference, knowing that the show is making a difference for you. Now, on today's show, I'm with the wonderful Tom Stern. Welcome to the show, Tom. Good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know why I'm saluting you. I've never done that before, but <laughs> maybe it's the international flavor. I, you're one of our allies. Uh, absolutely. Today is some sort of mission. <laughs> never. It's never been a more important time to be a good ally, that's for sure and certain. So just, uh, just for some context, uh, Tom, I'm going to share with the audience that you're a former actor, you're a comedian, a writer, producer, talk show host, comic strip author, and author of the book Fear Less, Sell More. And we're going to be talking about how you found your way into sales and how to make that creative and then expressive experience where uh, you can be of service to others through your book and along the way we can hopefully make some money. How's that sound? It all sounds great. You did neglect, and I say that without reprimand, (laughs) uh, probably the single most important component to my experience vis-a-vis this book, which is that for 32 years I've been in executive search, 27 run my own firm. So Part of my story is that I had all of this creative exposure and education and experience, and then that was translated, without my knowing it really, into professional success as a recruiter where I pretty rapidly rose to the top 1% in the world of sole proprietors who do what I do, which is to place high-level individuals in corporate and consulting environments. So, Fantastic. Uh, you know, I, I have deconstructed my success Uh, in the book as a means of trying to share with anybody out there who's invested in communication, persuasion, professional track of sales, some ideas and approaches and philosophies that might help them to be more effective. And that's that stern exec, and I'd love to take a deeper dive into that a little bit later on if we could, but uh, sure. customarily speaking, we, we often uh, spend a bit of time learning a bit more about you. So I guess um, where is home for you would be a good place to start. Well, it was initially in New York, uh, then it was Los Angeles, and I've moved to the paradise of Carlsbad, California, northern San Diego. It's just... Uh, a beautiful, sweet little gem. I'm 10 minutes from the beach. Oh, yes. I have a nice, comfortable home. I live here with my second wife. Kids are grown. And uh, most of my time is spent uh, walking on the beach or writing or working on various searches or creative outlets. Yeah, I wonder about that. I, I think about somebody like you and, and how uh, creative you are. Where do you get your inspiration from? Where, where do your best ideas come to you? Middle of the night? <laughs> uh, a lot of times they come to me through conversation. Everything in my experience has been a feedback loop. 
I am not obviously the intellect, nor the kind of individual that a physicist like Einstein would be, who could sit in his room and through thought experiments and gentle computation, hypothesize and ultimately reconfigure the universe and yeah. how we look at it. I'm a social animal. So CEO Dad, the comic strip that I did over 600 strips and had two years of circulation, two and a half million in a bunch of different states, and then had a book based on it and a TV show based on it. Um, that came in conversation. I was talking about my father, and I, you know, with affection, but I said he, he ran the family like a business. He was a CEO dad. And somebody laughed, and somehow that connection and their sense of the irony of my comment, the amalgam of work and family in a kind of CEO dad exaggerated form, uh, titillated them. And I thought to myself, huh, maybe, just maybe, there's something there. There's and, something I spent in there. The, and I spent the next three years pursuing it based on one person's laugh. Sometimes, yeah. I, sometimes <laughs> I go, Tom, maybe you ought to wait for three or four laughs before you dedicate just like five to, years of your you life. You need to quantify this first. <laughs> yeah, but everything has been through feedback loops. I don't do much in isolation, but the ideas will just pop into my head. You know, I'm playful. I like to be playful about people and situations, look at things differently, don't take anything too seriously. My yeah. motto for my firm is your career doesn't have to be work. And that idea kind of is foundational for my whole life. You talked about your father, and I, and I always talk about this. I, I love to know where, I guess, uh, early on in your life and your career as such, uh, I guess the, the sources of inspiration, who motivated you uh, in the earlier days apart from your father? Oh, my mom. My mom was mm -hmm. the greatest audience imaginable. Uh, the only problem was she loved me so much that I think over time, I had to be right-sized because I anticipated the world would love me as much as my mom. <laughs> it just rarely works out that way for most people. But everything I did, she thought, was funny and you're so smart. And, you know, I would make the gentlest repost in an argument and she would say, you should be a lawyer. Yeah. Oh, my God. You're, you're brilliant. You're my golden child. Yes. Uh, you know. <laughs> I would have been a good lawyer, I would have been a good doctor, I would have been a good mime. I'd wave and she'd go, oh, your hand control is incredible. <laughs> you really should study with Marcel Marceau. So as exaggerated and silly as that was looking back to a guy like me, a young child who didn't feel he could measure up with his dad and struggled in school, mm. that was... Uh, it, it was really something that allowed me to continue and believe and have hope in the world and in myself. So I've always felt a great debt to my mom. I appreciate the feedback and uh, you sharing that story because I think it gives some great context. And I'd love to um, go to that moment in time where you went from doubt to self-realization and acknowledgement that, hey, look, I can do this. I can be a success because I know there are a lot of people on the show that get a lot of value from that. Well, the truth is, it wasn't until 30 years later that I had a real belief. I had a kind of fantasy belief in myself. 
Mm -hmm. And uh, it allowed me to take risks. And I had occasionally very positive feedback. But I also came crashing and burning down a number of times. Briefly, when I was a comedian, I was the star of my school. Uh, my first audition, I got the Copacabana when it reopened in New York. That was yep. a big thing. I got my first audition at Catch a Rising Star, the number one club in all of New York. They said, you can be a member. And I really felt I was fast-tracked for fame and fortune. And my first night there as a regular, I sat in the back and watched Robin Williams, uh, Jerry Seinfeld, Jay yeah. Leno, and a bunch wow. of others. And I realized, Tom, you are a remedial beginner. You have, <laughs> like, and it took me about two years to realize that I could not compete with them, that I would be probably a journeyman comedian, uh, maybe better, but I didn't have their natural gifts and their prodigious capacity to write. So there were a number of disappointments. Yeah. The truth is that my mother set a pilot light which allowed me to keep experimenting. It was not until I was three months on the job as a salesperson, mm. even after being an agent, because an agent, I developed a lot of skills in Hollywood, but it's statistically so hard to find and build a great career there. Many do it. I didn't believe that I could do it in that industry somehow, finally. But I was in a boiler room three months into my job as a search consultant in a tiny firm, and I just remember something didn't go my way and I went, you deserve to succeed. You are going to succeed at this. And it was a combination of this free-floating confidence that she'd infused me with, mm -hmm. skills that I had developed over time, and then what I sensed was a market and an arena where I could, in fact, rise to the top. And uh, it's, it's that marriage between that internal belief Yep. and the opportunity that presents itself. And I was lucky enough to find that moment. You talked about, uh, you know, a number of times where you failed. And I know that, again, the audience loves to hear about these these stories because, um, you know, in a dark, in a dark room, they, they often struggle to see the light that there will be better days. What do you think um, people can learn from failure and should they accept it as part of the process? Well, it's up to them, but uh, I think failure's part of everyone's process. Mm. Steve Jobs failed with the company Next. Yep. Uh, he was thrown out of Apple and had to claw his way back in. Of course, he ended up being about as successful as any person in the 20th century mm -hmm. on many fronts. But uh, the difference or the most important element in any failure, and we can use another term, something that doesn't go as planned, where you yeah, are not yeah, fulfilled. Yeah. Uh, failure is a tough word, but uh, is to not marry it to shame and humiliation. This is where people get in trouble. And in fact, a lot of people don't take chances because we should talk about fear. Yes, absolutely. Uh, because, because they tie failure to humiliation. And then it all becomes very, very scary. Failure is a moment. Mm -hmm. It's an expectation that isn't met. It's an intention that is not returned. It is experience that isn't fulfilled. And all of that's painful. But uh, it can, hopefully, if you develop the resilience and some of the things I talk about in the book, the tools, yeah. uh, it is fodder for greater strength. 
You know the phrase, uh, what doesn't kill you makes, makes you stronger. stronger. Yep. Uh, I think it's Nietzsche. Of course, mine is, what doesn't kill you makes you thinner. But that's <laughs> maybe another perspective we don't need to get into. But, uh, yeah, so, I, I mean, I've had terrible moments where I felt so small and so crappy. And, you know, they passed. Uh, they They passed horribly. I mean... They were tough, yep. but they faded. And and that perspective is important, I think. Thank you for sharing. I, I, I want to now, if we could, just switch to uh, uh, the title of the book, uh, Fearless, um, Sell More, and where this all came from. What was the genesis of this book? Well, the genesis of the book is that I have lived a lifetime of anxiety. Mm. You know, I've probably had more therapy than Woody Allen, <laughs> uh, you know, which, uh, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I started with psychiatrists at like four years old. I had ADD and dyslexia. Mm-hmm. I didn't fit in in school. I couldn't function in an academic environment. I had a lot of ideas and energy and hope, but much of it was vitiated, you know, depleted yeah. by a lack of results and then all the pressure at home to succeed and carry the family name because there'd been so much success. Mm -hmm. And uh, so my life was filled with terrible anxiety and little by little looking back, it was the, the little things that I did that helped me survive and ultimately became foundational for communication skills that I developed later. For instance, I used to lie in my bed filled with anxiety, not able to do my homework and I would actually rock on my bed. It's called uh, auto-soothing. Yep. And it's a kind of primitive form of managing your sympathetic nervous system when it's out of control. Yep. And uh, I used to imagine myself as very successful and getting everything I wanted in life. And uh, that imagination, that ability to dream, to create narratives, to see myself striving, to root for myself, to be an advocate... Uh, that was very, very powerful. And then I, I used to use my voice as a toy because I had very little frustration capability management, you mm-hmm. know, with putting together airplanes with glue. I'd get very frustrated quickly, a common ADD syndrome. Yeah. And so I would use and play with my voice and imitate other people's voices and listen. And, and I didn't realize that what is called paralanguaging or the lexal languaging, which is nonverbal. Even if you're talking, it's not the content or the words. It's the tonality, the breath, uh, the expression, uh, was a critical skill in communication. And so what initially was playful and then observational, because I was always in trouble, principal's office, my father was mad at me. So I was constantly tracking the vocal tone. Of, of the individuals I was listening to, friend or foe, and trying to manage so many things in this intuitive and auditory and vocal universe that became a place that was like a playpen for me and a survival mechanism. Little did I know that I was being trained to work on the phone and in person mm-hmm. to develop a hierarchy, a scale of tones and attitudes that I could express and malleably uh, adapt to situations so that I could be powerful and influential. And that how I talk to people 
was a door opener, a magic wand for results and success. So fear played a tremendous role in terms of it dominating my life and making it difficult, but it forced me into solutions that were trampoline effect on my future. That seems to give me some great insight into the, I guess, some of the core of the book in terms of inflection and pace at which one speaks. Would that be fair? Well, sure. Uh, there's a whole chapter on the voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a chapter on acting. There's a chapter on spirituality. It's a book that's a story. I wanted to do something that was narrative, mm-hmm. not too prescriptive. It's a story between a person who hires someone and mentors them through this fearless system of developing your senses, your imagination, your understanding of the human psyche. I have a methodology called the inner corporation, which is transposing a kind of corporate model onto the parts of the self. Yes. So that we're managing your chief resilience officer, your uh, risk assessment officer, your internal leader, your, um, you know, the chief creative officer, the, the chief acting officer, your, your SVP in terms of vocal intonation. And you create all these different parts that manage and encourage the development of yourself. Because communication and sales, ideally, is about not just making money, but personal development and expression. I see it as an art form, a performance art form. And a lot of what manages fear is not only understanding where it comes from and being able to manage the chaos that ensues from fear. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is finding something else to think about. It's this simple. Talk to a tightrope walker. By the way, good luck finding one. But (laughs) from what I understand, they don't look down. They are feeling the wind, sensing the muscles in their legs, taking in all of this sensory information, the last thing they're doing is looking down and thinking about falling to their death. So there are elements of the process that fascinate them and involve them. Well, it's the same with communication. It's a playpen for expression, for insight into other people, and and for using your voice and your mind and your imagination and your heart and words, language, or like colors that you that you paint a canvas with. And when you see all of those elements, then each pursuit that you that you have is not a terrifying tightrope walk, but it's yes. a scenic landscape that you're viewing from a high perch and you have a sense of power and freedom. And that is what creates the capacity to be productive and fulfilled. That's a wonderful explanation. Thank you again for for sharing. I I wonder, is there something uh, in this book for everybody, beginners and and seasoned, experienced persons alike? I'd like to think so. Uh, These things are subjective. I try never to be dogmatic about my ideas. They have worked for me, and I can demonstrate how they work. I'm happy to be even to do that with you in a kind of playful moment. Uh, I think that there is no one who has completely mastered the art of communication. It is infinitely fascinating. No one who has mastered personal development. It is not a finite journey. Mm -hmm. And no beginner who can't leave their mind open if they don't judge themselves to try to play and experiment with elements. In fact, sometimes beginners 
are even more receptive because they have, don't have years of habits and training that tell them, oh, all I need is information. All I need are the questions I have to ask. All I need is research. No. Communication is an improvisation. It's in the moment. Uh, and it's created through a, an unseen, invisible chemistry and electricity. And it's fascinating. And uh, I'll give you an example. Yeah. To be influential and persuasive, there are moments when you need to have a voice of authority. You have to sense that need. And it's not going to come when someone is arguing with you because a voice of authority will be perceived as argumentative. It's not when someone else is talking like an authority because that means they're not looking for leadership at that moment. It comes when somebody sounds open, lost, frightened, anything that would require leadership or even suspicious or uh, circumspect or cynical about whatever you're discussing with them. Those are moments to have authority. Most people don't even know what their voice of authority is. They may stumble on it occasionally, and they may not realize all the different forms of vocal authority. So vocal authority can be quiet mm -hmm. and slow speaking and can take time because the authority being expressed in this moment is the residue of immense experience. And the individual is not experiencing anxiety. They are in a reasoned way mm. without too much investment in the other person's response because they've transcended that kind of codependency expressing their authority. There's the authority of the person who is saying, I am here to direct you. You are going to be lost. My experience, which is significant, my passion, my opinion, my clarity in this moment tells me that I must be empowered and I must lead you to an idea. There are so different, many different ways in the moment that you can change your tone, the pacing of language, and you can express authority and confidence when appropriate. There are also moments when you want to be naive, curious, and led by the other person who needs to be in control at that moment. It's a dance that human beings do all the time when they order food, when they introduce themselves, mm -hmm. or when they try to grab a moment and create greatness. All of them require adjustments, sensitivity, and uh, a passion, and a need to survive. We do it all the time. We just don't realize it. It comes across like the, the idea that, you know, reading the room, you know, when you go to an event and you have to get a sense of what's happening in the conversations that you're having with complete strangers. Is that, is that something that you can uh, relate to? Well, sure. Uh, but the question is, how do you read the room? Mm. And then there's another complexity. And, you know, these things are simple and they're also very complex. Yeah. So... Sometimes our ability to read the room is not only uh, defined by our sensitivity to the subtle ways that people have tells. Do you know what a tell is? No, I don't. It's in poker. Somebody has a bit of behavior that oh, lets you know yes. if they're bluffing yes. or whether they have a good hand. Well, poker face. In a, yes, but all, no, it's not just a poker no? face. No, because a tell is the opposite of a poker face. A poker face is neutral. It tells you nothing. Tells you so nothing. you play against someone. A tell 
is is a piece of behavior that reveals something about uh. who you are. So everybody has tells revealing pieces of behavior that demonstrate either their confidence, their insecurity, their intention, mm-hmm. um, their capacity, their lack of capacity. Now, there are many elements that are demonstrated. So when you read a room, what you're really talking about is observing and assessing the tells or expressions and behaviors of the people there, their mood, their intention, their agenda, etc. The additional piece of complexity, though, is what's your mood and how much can you trust your capacity to read the room? See, this is where fear creates chaos, because if you're in a state of fear, you may interpret everything as an attack, a dismissal, all of your worst anxieties. But and so that's where the inner corporation comes in, our ability to manage our own feelings so we can come to a room and have confidence We are reading what's going on without our own anxiety, without the overlay of our own fears. And that's why it's so important to excise fear from the experience. It pollutes and corrupts and distorts. This is one of those conversations I'm sure that could go deep and wide. I wonder, is is this a book that you would read once or would you come back to it like a resource type of guide? How does it work? Well, I hope that you'll read it once, lose it, and have to buy a second copy. That's really (laughs) Of course. I mean, you know, I'm trying to make some money here. Uh, But I think you could read it more than once. Yeah. Uh, I have read it more than once, but then again, it's my work. So I might have more interest in it than others. I do think that some of the concepts um, require thought. And so reading it twice might be a good idea. Experimenting with ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, applying it might require a second read. People have told me that they've looked at it more than once and they've underlined things. But it's also hopefully entertaining, a breezy narrative so that you don't feel you're being hit over the head in a lecture. And uh, that was my intention, to make it fun. It sounds like it definitely would be a fun read. Now, what formats is it in? Do you have an audio book or is it hardbound? There is an audio book. And looking back, I wish I'd used my own voice but uh, they had a professional do it. And mm-hmm. I was so busy and so overwhelmed that I honestly just decided to take that off my plate. Running my business, uh, getting the book ready, dealing with family and personal issues, you know, all of it. Yeah, I just yeah. went, okay, I, I heard enough. that guys. Yeah, I listened to a few different people. This one guy had a very nice way about him. He was mm-hmm. clearly professional. Uh, my second book, I'll, I'll do the audio. Absolutely. That'd be something to look forward to. That's for sure. And certainly I'd love to swing back around to uh, details about the book in a moment. But if we could, I'd love to uh, talk a, a little bit about Stern Executive. What's that all about? Let's, let's deep well, into that. Well, uh, Stern Executive Search. Um, I was a recruiter for a few years working for other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really got very lucky. I'd, I'd like to think that the luck was also planned. <laughs> uh, no, no. I, I planned very little, but it was a byproduct of my skills. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I do think that played a role because a client came to me and said, you've done great work for us. We're about to grow at 50% a year. The client was Price Waterhouse before it merged with Coopers and Librand. And we'd like you to recruit for us. And so I took a bold step and said, well, I would need an annual retainer to make that kind of commitment. So they gave me an annual retainer and they covered my costs. So I literally started the business with 100% margin working oh, out. Wow. 
So I was very lucky. Yeah. Uh, but I do think I earned that opportunity with the work I'd done with them over a four-year period. But I am humbled looking back at my good fortune that I was doing my job at a time when this explosive growth occurred. And I was in my house, you know, selling away. Uh, you know, I would be telling people, stern executive search, our grasp is global, <laughs> our capacity is uh, unlimited, our dedication is immeasurable. <laughs> and I was doing it from this tiny office in my home. And it all sounded really impressive until my dog started barking oh, no. in the background. And I would make a joke like, well, that's one of my senior vice presidents. He's, he's very excited. He just got a promotion. And so you'll have to forgive me. And then I'd make a joke out of it. And my uh, first wife used to tease me because to keep myself going, I would actually give myself plaques that I put on the wall of my earnings. You know, I, Thankfully, I didn't put like employee of the month because I was the only employee. So it would have been a little bit rigged. Little bit, but yes, at the end, of, the end of each year, I'd put my earnings and and, you know, I'd look up at those plaques for inspiration. And, it, it, you know, looking back, it's silly. But at the same time, it was scary being out there alone. And yeah, I kind yeah. of needed to remind myself. And I would tell anyone, if at times you used to need to use kind of primitive mechanisms mm. to reassure yourself, to bolster yourself, to regird and to create resilience and courage yep. by giving yourself some pats on the back, there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, but it, it was, uh, you know, a little bit silly. But, uh, yeah, I had plaques on the wall, and I uh, was out there pounding the desk and selling hard and, yep. uh, again, was just very lucky and uh, took advantage of it and dove in headfirst. The rest is history. You know, you do what you do to make a difference, don't you? If, you? if it helps you to believe in your abilities to achieve something, you do it, don't you? You do, but you also hopefully keep an open mind and have – a learning capability mm. because mm. I look back at those first few years and all I was concerned with because I was so afraid that I would fail mm -hmm. and I had failed before in life yeah. and this felt like the biggest risk even if it wasn't monetary risk I wasn't investing money uh, I I was very transactionally oriented I was so obsessed with results and that anxiety translated into a very aggressive style that was really controlling and effective, but at a cost. And yeah. I learned over time that if I could manage my fear and have more faith in, in, in my abilities and let go of outcomes, I could relax and build relationships. And that the gold, both in terms of generating revenue and in terms of fulfillment, was those connections, those relationships, deepening them. And, and that's what really helped me in the long run. That's powerful insight. I'm loving this call. Thank you so very much. I'm wondering if you sure. could share where people can find Stern Exec. Oh, Stern Executive Search. Well, I'm real busy, but uh, um, it's uh, sternexec.com, S-T-E-R-N-E-X-E-C. And mm -hmm. you can also uh, go to Tom Stern Central if you want to learn and look at some comic strips, see my sister, accepting Academy Award and thanking me for the writing I did on the animated short, listen to some snippets with Jay Leno and a bunch of celebrities from my nationally syndicated radio show yes, and fantastic. my blog and video blog. So that's all there. It's kind of cross across a couple of different landscapes. 
And then you can go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble and buy the book, which has a Ford by Jay Leno. Yes, I was going to ask you about that. Well, Jay's a great guy. He's always been, you know, very generous with me. And in the book, I explain how he really launched my sales career. Uh, I was down on my luck with writing and producing. I kept selling projects, but when I wrote them, they they didn't get made, which is not uncommon. Mm. But I was running out of money, and I was at the improv talking to Jay, and I said, you know, maybe I'm better at selling ideas than actually executing them and writing them. And he said, you know, Tom, my, uh, my agent <laughs> is uh, they're looking for a new uh, person on the West Coast. Let me make a phone call. <laughs> and um, I'll never forget, the president of the company called me the next morning, unannounced, at 7 in the morning. I'd been up till 3 with oh. all these comedians eating you know, uh, incredibly sugary foods and gone to sleep at like five in the morning. <laughs> I was completely hung over. And he had this powerful voice. His name was Bob Williams. And he mm-hmm. got on the phone and he said, is this Tom Stern? Is this Tom Stern? And I was like completely out of it. But I knew who he was. I knew he ran the, oh, yeah. the represented Jay. And I went, yes, Bob, how are you? Somehow <laughs> I just went into that vocal tone. Yes, yes. Butt- generating the energy and he laughed he said you haven't gotten any sleep have you and i said absolutely correct i've had two hours of sleep but i'm exhausted how are you bob and so uh i got that job and uh i really started to sell in earnest previously as a producer i had pitched ideas and done selling informally and it was there in representing celebrity talent and you know reversing the hollywood social scene that I became a professional salesman and it trained me, you know, to become a recruiter and run my own business. So I owe a lot to Jay actually. Yeah. Well, thank you again for sharing. This has been a wonderful journey and it's amazing how time flies when we're having a great conversation. I really do appreciate it as much as uh, the My Future Business audience does as well. Now, if you wouldn't mind just quickly again, sharing those two website domains where people can find you. Sure. My, my pleasure. Uh, sternexec.com, S-T-E-R-N-E-X-E-C is my search firm mm-hmm. website. And then Tom Stern Central is where the Stern Executive Search website is, the, the access to my book, uh, my video blogs, my blogs, uh, the stuff on my comic strip, my radio show that I did. So it's a kind of one-stop shop, Tom Stern mania. Uh, probably Excellent. more than you could ever digest in one sitting. In one sitting. That's exactly the sites we're looking for, Tom. Now, if you're on the call with us today and you've enjoyed this call, I'll be making sure that the links back to both those sites are available for you to follow up and take a look at, which I highly recommend that you do. And with all that being said, Tom, thank you so very much for spending some time with me on the My Future Business Show today. Rick, thank you for the opportunity. You've been a wonderful interviewer and uh, I've appreciated the chance to chat with you and meet you. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the call, then make sure to subscribe, leave a comment, share us with your friends and book your spot on the show at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. And if you're looking for solutions that will help grow your business, then visit myfuturebusiness.com forward slash shop.